You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. Let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for your grace to us. Lord, thank you so much for the mercy that you have poured out on us. Lord, we don't deserve it. Oh God, but you saw us in our sin. You saw us in our rebellion. You saw us in our helplessness, oh God. And you sent your son to die. So that right now, oh God, right now we can believe. We can have faith. We can humble ourselves under our Savior. And we can have access to the throne room of grace and prayer. So thank you, oh God. Because apart from you, we have nothing. Oh, Lord, apart from you, we are proud. Lord, apart from you, we, we are self-sufficient and, and it's foolish. Oh, God, so cause us, oh, Lord, in our hearts to be humbled before Jesus Christ. Cause us, oh, God, to have faith that you, oh, Lord, are willing and wanting to help us in our helplessness. Oh, God, we need you. Oh, Lord, we need your Holy Spirit. Lord, give us your spirit, oh, Lord, right now. Fill our hearts, I pray. Lord, we are wanting, we are waiting. Please, oh God, help us. And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Amen. Please, please take your seats. Well, good morning. Good morning. morning. (laughs) Long weekend, eh? Well, it's thankful to be here and open up God's Word with you. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew 8. We're going to be in verses 5 to 13 and 23 to 27, and we are talking about prayer today. You see, the Christian life is really predicated on prayer. You uh, receive salvation through prayer. Uh, you, you confess your sins through prayer. You bring your need before Jesus in prayer. You ask for wisdom by prayer. Everything we do in terms of our, our, our communication, our relationship with God is through prayer. Prayer is a gift that God has given us and it's really hard to imagine the Christian life without it. And since it is so crucial, since it is so important, we must continually be seeking to improve our prayer lives. Not just the frequency of our prayers, but the quality of our prayers. we got to be seeking to be more useful for Christian ministry, and so our prayers must get better. All of us are students of prayer. All of us. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a student of prayer. None of us have mastered this. I was quite hesitant, and and it was hard for me to even preach on this in some sense, because I am not a master of prayer. All we can do is turn to our Lord Jesus Christ. We can can look at faithful men and women who have gone before us, who have unlocked and and known and, and, and found out the secrets of prayer, and look to their example. But we're all students We're all students, and so we need to grow in this together. So why don't we stand again for the reading of God's word, Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 5. It says this, When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. 
When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel I have found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Continuing in 23, it says, And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? And then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and sea obey him? He may be seated. We will receive nothing except through prayer. In fact, in the book of James in the Bible, uh, he writes that we do not have because we do not ask. Church, we must ask. Prayer is so crucial in our lives, in our family, in our church. If we desire to receive anything, we must pray. The same verse goes on and says, of course, yeah, you don't ask, you don't receive because you don't ask, but you also don't receive because you ask wrongly. You want to spend it on your own passions. And so not only must we increase our frequency in prayer, we must learn how to pray rightly. Have you been seeking out right prayer in your life? Not just more prayer, but real prayer. Because clearly there is something in the Christian experience, and there is something in the Christian walk that isn't actually prayer. It's not real prayer. We ask wrongly and we don't receive, whether it be individually or corporately. We haven't sought out real prayer in our lives. Prayer has really taken the back seat in our lives. It hasn't taken the rightful place of top priority in the things that we do. And it must take top priority. Why? Because there's not one person in this room that could name one thing in their life that will not be utterly and completely affected by prayer. Everything is predicated on prayer. So what is real prayer? How do we grow in this? Well, here's the answer. Real prayer is more than words. It must come from a heart that is postured in humility and in faith before God. Real prayer is more than words. It must come from a heart that is postured in humility and in faith before God. We cannot just simply say words and consider it prayer unless it comes from a heart that is postured in humility and in faith of God. See, prayer is nothing more than allowing Jesus to access the need in your life. And the only way this is possible, the only way we can open up the door to Jesus Christ is in humility and in faith. We see the example of the centurion. See, he knew the secret of prayer as he approaches Jesus. His heart was postured correctly. He was able to effectively pray and Jesus could hear his prayer and answer his prayer. So what will this humble and faithful prayer look like? We have four points this morning. Let's get started. The humble and faithful prayer will bring the need to Jesus. 
The humble and faithful prayer will bring the need to Jesus. Look at verse 5. It says, When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. You see, the centurion knew that the only place he could know for his needs to be fulfilled was Jesus. He knew that he could bring his need at the feet of Jesus. We don't know the background of the centurion. We don't really know anything more about him than what is given in this story. But if we could imagine for a minute that he's anything like us, he probably tried a whole lot more before he went to prayer. He probably called the best physicians. Maybe he, he, he got the best medication for his servant. Maybe he did all the best treatments. And all of those things failed and it left him full of anxiety and fear. And he was distressed. But then at that moment, God granted him great faith. He was given great faith. He could see and he could realize that Jesus could handle this need. That he could bring it to Jesus. The posture of his heart is obvious. He says... It says in the, in the word there that he came appealing to Jesus. Imagine this, a Roman centurion appealing to a Jew. See, this doesn't happen. The centurion had a status in society. He had people under him. He would have been well respected. And yet he's coming before a Jewish subject. And he appeals to Jesus. See, he was granted such great faith that he could see past the veil of earthly appearances And he could see that he was standing in front of the king of heaven. He knew that he must appeal to Jesus and it wasn't the other way around. This is a humble heart full of faith. Appealing to Jesus is the proper order of things. See, you might be in a position of power. You might have think that you have great accomplishments in your life. You might think you have it all put together. But really, when you stand before Jesus, do you understand that you're standing before the king of heaven? The creator of the heavens and the earth. The master of all things. The king of kings and the lord of lords. See, if you know this and you realize this, you will appeal. You will bow down to his will. You'll come to him knowing that your fate is completely in his hands. This is a true appeal. Lord, will you help me? Only you can. This is humble. Knowing who you are before Christ. You see, the very act of asking is humble. The centurion comes to Jesus and lays down the need before him. This is dependence. And this really is the essence of what prayer is. A uh, Norwegian theologian, uh, about 100 years ago, his name was Halsby, he said this concerning prayer. He said, To pray is nothing more involved than to open the door, giving Jesus access to our needs and permitting him to exercise his own power in dealing with them. You see, all we do is open up the door. All we do is open up the door and allow Jesus to come in and exercise his authority and exercise his power into the situation. All we can do is present the need. We may say to Jesus, please come in, do your will. Come in and do the work that you want to do. Not what I want done, O God, but what you want done. Notice here in the text, you see this? See, the centurion, he brings the need before Jesus, but he doesn't bring the solution. This is so crucial. 
He doesn't want his solutions, his ideas, to get in the way of the work of Jesus. We too must only present the need before Jesus and not the solution. Jesus has never asked us to tell him how to answer our prayers. He doesn't need you for that. He knows what to do. Not only does he know what to do, he knows what's best to do. He wants to answer the prayer the best way possible for us. Do you believe it? Because if you believe this, that Jesus wants to answer your needs and that he knows what is best, you will only present your need and then you will watch as he fulfills the need in a way that you would never been able to imagine. I love the example of the wedding of Cana. Helsby, that same theologian, in his book Prayer, he talks about this, and I suggest you find that book and read it. Um, At the wedding of Cana, Jesus does this miracle. Everyone knows this miracle. He turns water into wine, right? And, uh, And it's an amazing miracle. It had never been done before that, and it's never been done since. It's an incredible, incredible thing. But sometimes what we miss there is the amazing prayer that was offered up to Jesus in this. Mary, the mother of Jesus, comes to him and they've run out of wine at the wedding and it's embarrassing for the host couple and she says, Jesus, we're out of wine. She simply brings the need before Jesus. Not the solution. She she doesn't say to Jesus, hey Jesus, we're out of wine. Could you go to the other banquet hall and see if we can buy some off them or borrow some? We'll pay them back later. Maybe take your brothers, run to the LCBO, pick some up, come back. We'll be good to go for the rest of the wedding. No. She says, Jesus, we've run out of wine. She lays the need before Jesus. Do you ever think for one minute, do you ever think for even a millisecond, Mary thought that Jesus would just take some water and turn it into wine to answer her prayer? Not a chance. Not a chance. There's no way. There's no way. But what she did know is she humbled herself under his authority and she had the faith knowing that Jesus would do what is best. We often get in the way of the work of Jesus by dictating our will about how the prayer should be answered instead of humbly admitting that Jesus knows better and having the faith that he wants to answer our prayer. But before we can even bring our need to Jesus, we need to know that we are needy. We need to know that we are needy. This is so often the, fall, the trap that we fall into, not knowing our neediness. We don't recognize our own neediness, and so our prayers are not humble, requiring faith. We have set our lives up in such a way that we don't truly ask Jesus for our daily bread. We think we are self-sufficient, not needing Jesus really to provide anything. Oh, how foolish we can be. Sometimes in this we pray just because we think we ought to or we always have done it that way. We might pray before a meal and thank God for the food, but is our heart really in a posture of humility and faith knowing that only Jesus can provide? Or do we think in the heart of hearts, do we think that, well, even if I didn't pray, I would still eat today? Even if I didn't thank Jesus, outside of Jesus, I would still have shelter. I would still have my family. I would still have all the things that I have. Maybe you rely way too much on your stuff and you can't let it go. And it's causing you to not be needy before Jesus. Jesus has a solution for this, by the way, if that's your biggest issue. Just like he says to the rich young ruler, sell everything and give it to the poor. 
Because it's better to lose everything in this life and gain everything in Christ than to have anything in this world. Sell everything and give it to the poor. Because then maybe that's what it will take in your life to truly know that you are needy. And oh, the power and the grace that is found in neediness. When you fully depend on Christ for everything. Because truly we have nothing apart from the grace of Jesus Christ. Everything we have can be taken away in a moment. Every breath you've breathed since you were born is a gift of grace from Jesus Christ. Every morsel of food you've ever put in your mouth is grace. And it can all be taken away in even a moment. Have you ever read the book of Job? You can find out real quickly how fast things can be taken away. We must look to the example of the centurion who even though he's in a great position in society, even though he has servants, even though I'm sure his belly was full, he knew he was needy for Jesus Christ. He is needy because he realizes that there is nothing he can do to remedy his situation. That his fate is completely in the hands of Jesus Christ. This neediness must be accompanied by faith that Jesus can do the work. Do you believe that Jesus wants to work in the best way possible for you? Do you have that faith? Do you believe? Are you needy? I love this example of the centurion because it should really remind us that no matter who we are, no matter what position we are in society, no matter our education level, no matter if you're a Jew or a Greek or a Roman centurion, or if you've been in the faith for five minutes or 50 years, you can come before Jesus Christ in prayer. Is your heart needy? Are you humble? Are you full of faith that he can do it? You see, the reason we can pray is not based on our holiness. The reason we can pray is based on our helplessness. If prayer and the, and the access to God was in our holiness, none of us would be able to pray. None of us would be able to pray. None of us have a, a right before God to bring our needs to him. None of us. But our neediness, our helplessness, relying on Jesus Christ, praying to God and saying, because of what Jesus has done, he's fulfilled my need, and now I can come before you because of Christ. Not because of me, because of Christ. Then we'll be able to approach God in humility and in faith and our prayers will be heard by God and fulfilled by a willing and able Savior. The humble and faithful prayer will know who Jesus is. The humble and faithful prayer will know who Jesus is. Take a look at verse 7. It says this, And he said to, them, said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Just look at how the centurion responds to Jesus. See, we must take real careful note here on the response of the centurion. Because Le J Jesus loves this so much that he says he has not found faith this great anywhere in Israel. But what is so special about what the centurion says here? Why do his words convey so much faith? 
It's because he believes Jesus is who he is. He starts by saying that he is unworthy to even have Jesus under his roof. He believes that Jesus is the Son of God. He believes that he is the Messiah, and he feels that his house is not a place that can contain the presence of God. He probably had a decent home, but he knows that when the King of Heaven walks in, it's like a shamble. The centurion sees who Jesus is, and he knows that he has nothing and that Jesus has everything. He continues with an example from his own life. He says that he also has people above him and below him and that those people under him do exactly what he says. He says he knows what authority looks like. Do you see the faith here? He is saying that just as he has authority over some, Jesus has authority over everything. See, he knows that the common physician would have to come to his house and put hands on the, the patient and, and give medicine to the patient and help the patient with recovery and rehabilitation and, and would really have to do a lot of work. But he knows that the great physician, just by his word from a distance, can heal him. He knows the authority that Jesus has. He knows that there's nothing Jesus can't speak into and absolutely change. Jesus has the authority, and he knows this in his heart. Do you have this kind of faith? Do you have this kind of faith? Often we don't pray because we don't think we have the faith that is required. Sometimes we read passages of scripture like this, and we think, only if I had the faith of the centurion, then I would be able to pray. Then my prayers would be answered. We're too deep in sin or, or not committed to the church enough or, or um, we think that surely our prayers are not faithful enough to be heard by God. We leave discouraged. We don't go to small group. We don't go to prayer meetings because we think we can't approach God in our current state. We think we're not worthy. Let me reassure you of something to the one who is discouraged in their faith. You do have enough faith. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you do have enough faith. Let me ask you these questions. I'll do a little faith test, okay? If you agree with them, you can just nod your head at me, okay? Do you believe that you're a sinner and Jesus died on the cross to save you from your sins? Do you believe that Jesus was raised from the grave by God on the third day? Do you believe that Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit to live within you? Do you believe that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God right now in all authority and power and is ruling and reigning over all things? Do you believe that Jesus is coming back to earth and that he will make all things new? Did you answer yes? You have faith. You have faith. You already have the faith. Jesus says, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, the smallest thing he could think of, then you can pray to him and a mountain will be moved. A lot of us look at that text and go, if only I had the faith of a mustard seed. No, that's not the point. You have the faith of at least a mustard seed because you believed in Jesus Christ. You've already opened the door to him. You've allowed him to come into your life and, and work the greatest miracle he will ever work in your life, which is turning a heart of stone into a heart of flesh. Jesus is working his miracle within you. You do have faith. 
You can pray to God. Have you believed? Are you humble? Do you come to him in neediness? Do you think that you have to be perfect before you come to God? You'll never be perfect. If that was the case, none of us would ever get there. It's our helplessness. It's our neediness in Jesus that allows us to come before God. Your faith opens the door. Jesus does the work. Our small faith opens up the door and he moves mountains with his power. The heart that is in the posture of humility and faith will know that Jesus wants to do the work. You see, we think, we can't pray. God won't work in my life. I don't have enough faith. And by saying that, what you're saying is, is that my faith is what convinces God to do a good thing. God has never needed you to convince him to do a good thing. Ever. Jesus is always willing and wanting to do the best thing. He is knocking at the door and waiting to come in and wanting to do the best thing in your life for you right now. Your faith doesn't convince him to do what is right. Your faith simply opens up the door. Do you believe that Jesus wants to come in and do the best work in your life? Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Have you invited him in? Have you opened up that door for the first time? Have you invited Jesus in To fulfill your greatest need, the forgiveness of sins. You can do that now if you humble yourself before God. If you see who Jesus Christ is. If you have faith that in him you can bring this need before him. And that he and he alone can fulfill it. He will do the work. He will do the work. The humble and faithful prayer will have no doubt. It will have no doubt. Just look at verse 11. It says this, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Doubt has absolutely no place in prayer. Doubt is actually the opposite of prayer. It is the antithesis of prayer. Jesus sees the faith of the centurion, and then he gives this warning about those who think they have faith, but actually don't. Jesus makes sure on multiple occasions That faith in himself is what brings you into the kingdom of heaven. Not who your parents are, not your ethnicity, nothing else but faith in Jesus Christ. The ones who think they are in, those who are practicing a false faith, a faith that really is relying on their own accomplishments, their own holiness, those people will not recline at table in heaven, but instead will be thrown into hell. This is an important warning. It is so easy to be deceived in this. To think that when we pray, it is a holy prayer, but when in reality, it, was with, it is without faith and filled with doubt. Doubt is the opposite of faith. Doubt is the opposite of prayer. As I've been studying prayer this year, um, the Lord has revealed to me in my own heart, my own life, so many ways that I've been doubting in prayer. To the point where I hesitate to start praying. 
because I have to recheck my heart. But here's a few examples of the things I've learned about how I've been doubting in prayer. Here's a common one, I think. Not believing that God can do the work in someone else. You ever prayed this way? You have two friends and one of them, you just see like, hey, they're just so ripe for the gospel. They could believe, oh, God could use this person in such a powerful way. They're so put together. Wouldn't it be great to see them as a believer? And so we pray earnestly for that person. And then we see someone else and we're like, God could never save them. They're too far gone. Their heart's too hard. They've rejected Christ. There's no way. Doubt. Doubt. You don't believe that God has the power to take the hardest of hearts and turn them into a child of the living God? Of course he does. It's doubt. It's doubt. How about this one? Not believing that God can use you. It's doubt. And sometimes it comes off as this false humility. And you you try to sound holy, but really it's doubt. You're asked to do something for the Lord. Maybe the Lord is, is, is in your heart just, just trying to tell you you need to do this, you can do this, and, and maybe someone in the church is asking you, hey, can you do this? And you go, no, 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 I, I'm too weak. There's no way I could be used in that way. There's no way that I am I'm strong enough. I could never get up and preach the word of God. No, I, I couldn't do those things. It's doubt. It's doubt. It's false humility. What you're really saying is God is unable to work a amazing thing in my life. What you're saying is God is unable to use me. Not true. It's doubt. It's false humility. It's probably laziness. How about this one? Telling God how to answer our prayers. Done this one already a little bit, but... Because even right now, some of us are thinking, right? Would you just tell me the words to say? Would you just give me the formula so that I can get what I want? What words do I have to piece together so that God will do what I want him to do? We tell God how to answer our prayers and we want to know how to do it. How about this one? Not waiting on God. The Lord puts something on your heart and you pray and it doesn't get answered in five minutes and you've never prayed for it again. We're all guilty of that one. Not waiting on God. How about this one? Praying for your own will to be done and not the Lord's. It's doubt. That is doubt. See, but this, this kind of doubt is, is not always crystal clear. It's often very subtle. It's camouflaged as a holy prayer. Because doubting is from the heart, but it's not necessarily in the words. And this is how this looks, right? This is, this is the way that we doubt and we try to make it sound holy, okay? Uh, you go to your, so your friend, your small group leader, someone in the church or whatever, and and you ask them to help you with something. You say, well, could, you just, could you just pray for me? And, and could you tell me which job I should take? Right? And, and it sounds holy. I just want to know, what's God's will? Should I, should I take this job or this job? Should this school or this school? Whatever it is. There's a hundred million examples. And, and sometimes it's a good prayer. Right? Sometimes it's, it's sincere. It's humbly before God, really wanting to know where you can be used to spread his gospel the most. Where he would most effectively use you for ministry. Let's be honest with ourselves. Most of the time, 
I think the prayer is more coming from the heart like this, that we think down the line, we, we want certain things in life. We want a house like this. We want a family like this. We want a pension like this. We want vacation that looks like this. And to get those things, I need to make a certain income. And to get that income, I need certain promotions. And to get those promotions, I need to be in a certain job. And so right now, I would like you to pray and I, tell me what God's will is for which job I should take so that one day I can get all the stuff that I want. It's a doubtful prayer. It's not a humble prayer. It's not a faithful prayer. It's a prayer full of doubt because you believe what you want for your life is what's best for your life. You believe that all of the plans that you've made and all the things you want at the end is more important and better than what Jesus Christ can do for you now. I've been there. I know that is so true. Look at verse 23. It says this, And when, I, when he got into the boat, the, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? I'm reading this verse, I'm reading this, this chapter here, and I'm like, what's the difference? What, what's the difference between the prayer of the disciples and the prayer of the centurion? Right? Didn't the centurion come and bring, bring the need, not the solution? Right? He brought the need, not the solution, and, and he yielded, and he was humble before God, and, and he prayed for a good thing, and, and then Christ applauded his prayer, and he, and he said that I haven't seen this much faith in all of Israel. And then don't the disciples do the same thing? Don't they, aren't they, aren't they on a boat that's about to sink? And they come and they bring the need before Jesus, and they don't bring the solution, they bring the need. But God rebukes them? Why? Why did Jesus applaud the prayer of the centurion but rebuke the prayer of his disciples? You see, it had nothing to do with the words of the prayer. It had everything to do with the heart of the prayer. The centurion was coming with his heart postured in humility and faith, not doubting what Christ could do for him and knowing that Christ would do what is right. The disciples, on the other hand, didn't believe they doubted. They prayed the words in distress, but not in faith. They knew their helplessness in the moment, but didn't believe that Jesus would do what is best for them, or that he was able to do what is best for them. And their hearts are truly revealed in verse 27, when it says they marveled that he could even do these things. Jesus, just look at this response to the disciples. Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? See, Jesus doesn't correct their words. He rebukes their heart. In this one moment, he's exposing their doubt and teaching them to be faithful. We often pray like the disciples, don't we? Especially those who have been in the church for a long time. See, we know the words to say. And this can be so dangerous. We can pray for hours and hours and everyone around us would be like, wow, that guy must be so close to God. Amen. Amen. But in reality, you're filled with doubt. In reality, you're practicing a false faith. In reality, you don't really believe that Jesus is wanting to do what is best. You've built up for yourself this false religion and 
In doing so, you've given yourself a a false confidence. You haven't let God wrestle you down in submission. You see, we need to get to the heart of prayer. And God wants us here. God wants us in his will. God wants us to see him and know what's best for us and pray for the things that are on our heart and the things that we need to change in our heart. And what happens is we, we approach prayer and, and, God, and we start to say, hey God, this, this, and then he starts to wrestle in us. And he's pinpointing a sin in your life. And you know this is so because every time you hear the preacher preach, it's the same thing going on in your mind. I need this to change. Every time you open up the word of God, it seems to be the same thing over and over and over. And you start to come to God, and he's wrestling you down, trying to get you to the place of yielding and submission so that you can pray for what he wants you to pray for. But instead, we get distracted, and we go, I don't want to go there, I don't want to go there, and then we start to pray maybe for someone else. How deceitful our hearts can be. That instead of being wrestled down into submission by God, we make it look like we're being holy and praying for someone else. When God wants you to get here, to his will, to abiding in him, allow God to wrestle you down. He's pinpointing that issue, but we ignore it. He wants to change you, but we resist his call. And after months and years of not heeding his call, it gets easier and easier. And we're unwilling to change, and so you have ceased to pray. And when you do pray... It's ineffective because you want your will to be done and not the Lord's. You see, prayer is much like a shovel. All right, you've been wondering why the shovel's on stage this whole time. It's because prayer is a lot like a shovel. It's a tool. We use it. And if you use a shovel properly, it's hard work. I don't know if any of you have been in landscaping or, or maybe just doing some stuff around your house and you have a big pile of dirt to move. It's hard work. And you have to get in there. And you sweat. And it's difficult work. And it's not easy. And it doesn't get easier. It gets harder, actually, because you start to get more tired and you get more tired. And that's what good prayer looks like. Hard work that is moving a mountain. But so many of us are, are using prayer like this. And we're coming to church, we're going, my prayers are so ineffective, what's going on? Why won't this thing move? Why can't I get this over there? It's because you doubt. It's because we doubt. It's because we're truly not in prayer. We haven't allowed God to wrestle us down so that we would submit to his will and we would pray for the change that's needed in our hearts. So then we could pray for what God wants us to pray. I can only imagine God calling to you, child, turn the shovel around. Come into the heart of prayer. Come into the spirit of prayer. Don't ignore my calling on your life. Don't ignore the thing I'm trying to change in you. I want to give you my Holy Spirit. I want to change your heart from the inside out so that you can be made more like Jesus Christ. Don't ignore his call. Humble yourself before him. Know who you are. Know who he is and have faith that what he is wanting to do is best. Prayer cannot be filled with doubt. The humble and faithful prayer will give rest to the believer. 
They say there's so much grace. There's so much hope for us who pray so incorrectly at times with such a heart that is not humble or faithful. Because if you truly are a believer in Jesus Christ, you'll have rest in prayer. God will teach you how to pray. See, Jesus gives a stern warning about the dangers of those who assume they're in the kingdom but aren't, right? They're thrown into the outer darkness. But then on the other hand, we have the disciples who also don't pray well. They're rebuked, yet Jesus pours out more grace. Doesn't he? Look at the text in verse 26. It says, And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and sea obey him? Even though the disciples lacked faith, Jesus had mercy on them. His work was not done in them yet. Amen, and praise the Lord for that. He looked at them and he knew, he knew that they needed more. He knew that he, they needed more of him. Even though they had already seen him do a whole lot of amazing things, they needed more. Jesus was not done with them. He chose to love them. He chose to walk with them. He chose to save them. If you are a child of God, he will never let you go. Even when you come in pride and doubt. He says they had little faith, but they still had some faith. They believed in Jesus enough to follow him, but they didn't fully understand his authority and his power in their lives. They stood before Jesus and didn't really understand that he was able to help them in their situation. Their faith was not perfect, but Christ does not do what is right because the quality or the size of your faith. He wants to do it. He wants to help. For the disciples, it took a few more situations for them to finally get this point. But eventually they did. But before that, Peter denied Jesus three times. The disciples scattered after the crucifixion. They didn't believe. They didn't believe. But Jesus pursued them. He pursued Peter. Why? Because they were his. And he knew that their faith would grow. Hopefully we don't have to go through this lesson over and over and over again to get it. I pray that right now you'll be able to posture your heart in humility before God and in faith to know, absolutely know, that even when it isn't quite clear to us, Jesus wants to fulfill your need in the best way possible. He doesn't want to just give you more stuff. He wants to give you more of himself. He wants to change your heart. This will result in rest for the believer. This will result in peace and joy for the believer in Jesus Christ. See, you can put your need at the foot of Jesus and without any doubt in mind, know that he will do what's best. If you have that guarantee that Jesus Christ will do what is absolutely best for you, you don't have to worry about tomorrow. You don't have to be filled with anxiety. Our anxiety will be thrown out the window because we have Jesus Christ on our side who is knocking and wanting to do what is best for you. He wants to give you more of the Holy Spirit. That will give you rest. And you'll want to continually go to Jesus with everything that you need, everything that is on your heart, because that's where you'll find joy. That is where you will find 
peace and rest. Posture your heart in humility and faith. Know who you are. Know who Jesus is. Know that you are helpless and have the faith that Jesus can do the work. Once we do, we like the disciples will marvel at the work that Jesus has done. It will cause us to worship. It will cause us to have greater trust and faith. Posture your heart in humility. Posture, oh, posture your heart in faith. Allow Jesus to come in and do the work in your life. This is what prayer is. And it is so much more than words. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh God, teach us to pray. Oh Lord, not just the words to say, oh God, but the heart that we must have. Oh Lord, humble us, oh God. We are so proud, oh Lord. We try to be so self-sufficient at times. Oh God, I know in my own heart, oh Lord, I, I forget, oh Lord, I, I don't want to remember that it's only because of you that I am sustained in life. Oh Lord, humble us. Lord, let us not be so foolish. Oh Lord, give us wisdom. Let us know who you are. Oh God, because we have nothing apart from you. Oh Lord, and let us believe. Let us believe, let us have faith, oh God, that not only are we helpless, but we have a Savior who is completely able. Oh Lord, and you are able. Oh Lord, you've taken this heart of stone and you've made it into a heart of flesh. You've taken a rebellion and someone from the army who was against you, oh God, and you've turned them into a child. So thank you, O oh God. O oh Lord, and if we believe that you can work the greatest miracle in our life, how can we not believe, O oh Lord, that we can bring everything to you? Lord, change our hearts. O oh Lord, change our hearts. Give us your Holy Spirit. Lord, you say that you are wanting, O oh God, to give us your Holy Spirit to those who ask. And so, God, we humbly ask. In faith we ask, knowing, O oh God, that you are able. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.